0: all right let's jump in paradoxes of christianity today all right uh let me open with a word of prayer and uh we'll, d- we'll dive right into the deep end uh lord thank you for a friday for a beautiful sunny friday i ask that you would bless our class today you give us insight and wisdom bless our discussion uh, i pray that there would be much fruit from this Thanks for your grace and your goodness to us on this journey. Thank you for the power of paradox. Thank you for being a paradox. Help us to surrender. Some of us need to surrender today. We need to just submit and surrender. And some of us need to step into the power of paradox and really lean into the truth embedded in in pursuing an understanding of paradox. Thank you for mystery. In your name, Jesus, amen. Okay, we're on that page 94. If you, just real quick, logistically, look at page 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, like all this is my notes on mere christianity book one if you're lost or confused what can the guidebook do for you guide you right through it i designed it for that i made these pages for you okay and they help like i've been revising them for 20 years i think they're they're pretty solid so use them on top of that you go to book two and there's the big chunky quotes we're going to talk about in class in book two And then you keep flipping, and we're going to talk a little bit about grace. And then we're going to go to page 113, 114, and 115, and that's your midterm. It's coming. If you want to start, pick one of those four things to do. Show me that you've learned, and you'll get a great grade. Pretty straightforward, it's all right there. I'll talk about it later, but if you want to start your midterm, you're welcome to. Today marks the hinge point in our semester. If you flip from your paradox page, if you flip back a few pages, you will see that we are now officially in Act 3. Okay, so we are done with our formal study of the philosophy part of this class of the four worldviews. So now we're going to move into studying Christianity, if that makes sense. Um, And our assumption will be that it's the best way to go, okay? You get to decide for yourself how you feel about that, but we're going to start with book one, talk about the nature of God, and then book two, why we need Jesus, and then we're just going to kind of keep working our way through. Fair enough? On Monday, we will look at the silly strips concept and this painting, the Last Supper painting, which is on page 88. And then on page 89, we're going to talk about the chandelier metaphor. Technically, I should probably do that before we study paradoxes, but I like doing paradoxes first. So we're going to do paradoxes, and then we're going to back up to those, and then we'll move right into mere Christianity. All right? Any questions logistically? Okay, if you're not reading mere Christianity right now, you should be. Like That's where we are. You should be reading that. Uh, just read book one, read book two, annotate, make responses. It speaks for itself. It's so great. All right. and if you're a little lost, again, guidebook, what it's for. Okay, let's keep going then. there aren't any questions. Um, I love this talk. It might be one of my favorite talks. Probably because it's had the most dramatic change on my life. This concept of paradox has provided so much freedom and joy for me i've had to surrender to its mystery but i love it i love what it does one of the reasons why we have to stop and talk about it before we move forward is because quite frankly if you don't understand just conceptually paradox and what it is you're going to struggle with christianity uh, Barna has all this research out right now maybe you've heard about the stats with 70-80% to 80% of people after they're done with high school and they hit college they leave Christianity or they leave the church I'm like, yeah, fair enough some of those churches needed to be left <laughs> you know, like, not to bash them but like, some of them are really unhealthy does that make sense? but a lot of them are unhealthy because they don't understand paradox but I actually think a lot of college students chuck their faith because they bump up to some really hard things in our world and some hard things about God. They don't know how to handle paradox. And so they chuck it. It reminds me of the passage in Scripture when there's all these disciples and all these people who want to follow Jesus. And he's like, oh yeah, by the way, you want to follow me? you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're all like, what the heck? Freak! You know? And what do a lot of them do? They, they literally, they leave. They're like, see ya. We're not going to do that. Because they don't understand him. Not understanding Jesus causes people who love Jesus to leave Jesus. These were disciples who left him. I love it. He turns to Peter. Hey, Peter, you going to go too? He's like, where else would we go? <laughs> you know, like, you've, got, you've got it right here. So we're not going to go anywhere else. But yeah, what you just said is really weird. <laughs> and he embraces the mystery of it. And, and then at the Last Supper, it's like, oh, click, right? So I challenge you. If you're, for many of you, what you're so mad at about God right now, it's paradox. The thing that you hate about this church, probably paradox. The thing that makes you not want to be a Christian, paradox. The thing that makes chapel repulsive to you, Paradox. Like <laughs> we, can, I, I'm almost positive I could just go right down the list. And that thing that's, hey, how's it going? You. You're welcome to hang out. We're doing paradox. So. See, if Grace was here, what? If Grace was, was here. I know. Look at that. All right. Hey, good to see you. How are you? Good. Welcome to Paradox of the Christianity. <laughs> uh, let's give it up, by the way. Yeah. yeah come on. Right it's fall breaks. So fall break. I just and say hi Beautiful day. Yeah. Um, and so I say all that as kind of a prep here. This is huge for Chesterton after the thousands of books that he read, after all the stuff that he went through. In his book, Orthodoxy, Paradox is what fi- finally lets him into Christianity. He was like, Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. And then finally, Paradox unlocked that door and he was able to peek in and go, Ah, <laughs> right. And once he could unlock it, he was able to flourish in it. Fair enough. Questions so far? All right, so let's start where you guys are. Um, I think it's a good place to go. What are the cool quotes that you found in this or questions that you have from your reading? I think I had about 58 out of 90 of you do the homework by today, which is finding quotes and writing about it. So if you did it, you've got stuff to share today, right? Let's share. What are the cool quotes or questions that you have? Anybody? Yeah, declare your phone. Yeah, you got one? Yeah, you can declare your phone. You got one right here. Yeah, go for it. Um, so this is on page 63. Um, yeah. It says, uh, now this is exactly the claim which I have since come to propound proficiency. Not merely that it deduces logical truth, but that when it, is, when it suddenly becomes illogical it found, so to speak, an illogical yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So good. <laughs> That's like, done. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> That's so great. Where for everybody else, where on the page is that one? It's like in the middle of the middle I wanna highlight that one too. Oh yeah, there it is. It's so good. Ugh, so good. Um, Why do you like it? Um I just think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Which is funny about. I know. <laughs> and that's so great. Yeah. It's so it interesting sense. is when you find something that doesn't make sense but it's in the Bible or it's in life and you know it's true then you instead of saying oh virgins giving birth (laughs) that can't be true what do you have to do oh yeah virgins giving birth I guess the truth is that weird (laughs) like instead of saying it's not true we say the truth is strange or the truth is illogical does that make sense I love how he just in one sentence is able to like nail that. some of us need to do that you're like oh three can't equal one it can't be true versus no Actually, three equals one. <laughs> Thanks. It's a great one to start on. Anybody else quote that they found or a question? Yeah. It says um, it is very hard for a man to defend anything of which he is entirely convinced. Because that t- kind of talks about like when we were like at the beginning of the year, you were like, "Can you prove anything?" Yeah. And then like three of my other classes were like, "No, you can't." <laughs> I was like, "I guess I can't prove <laughs> anything." But yeah, it's like the whole trusting thing. Yeah, and he says, not proves, he says convinced, Mm -hmm. convinced. once you're finally convinced of trusting what you believe, ah, but then can you really describe it to anybody? (laughs) No, because it's what? It's everything. It's everything. You've accepted reality. Nice. Great quote. Other cool quotes. If you haven't read this, don't miss it. Like, it's so rich. Yeah, what do you got? Once one believes in a creed, one is part of its complexity. As scientists are proud of the complexity of science, and a stick might fit a hole or in a hollow by accident, but a key and a lock are both complex. And if a key fits a lock, you know it is the right key. I thought that was interesting, just because you see so many people convinced that they're right, mm-hmm. or like so many people are confident in the same way that we're confident in God. And but it's just saying that like once you know. Like you can't mistake the wrong key for a lock. Yeah. And so I think that was very. <laughs> the more you read this, the more you realize what he's saying in that quote. Is he saying, "Guess what? Paradox was the key." So I was like, "But this, but this, and then this, and like this, and then you're like, ah, it's just not gonna work." And so you feel like you can't get the door open. Paradox click. And you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> but it's a paradox. <laughs> what? <laughs> But, it's, like a but paradox. it's a paradox. <laughs> I know the irony of that, right? But I think that's the other side of it. Is oftentimes we try to make something work, and we just know in our hearts that what, it just doesn't, right? Are there paradoxes in other religions? Yeah, all of them. It's not like Christianity has paradoxes. I was thinking about maybe if I ever do PhD research, I would research the world's paradoxes and riddles. I thought it'd be crazy. <laughs> I was talking about roller coaster ride, but you realize like. Paradox for Atheism. It looks like you have free will, but you don't. And you're like, but how do you feel after that one? Uh, (laughs) You're like, okay. Or Paradox for Buddhism. You are trying to cease to exist so that you can exist as God, which means you cease to exist. All right, like okay, like you see how like these are powerful paradoxes, but they don't really leave you satisfied at the end, do they? Or the the monism one, right? You get to strive to become God, and when you do that, you'll realize you already are, which means you're not yourself. It looks like there's evil, but there really isn't. You eat Just even in the room, how does it feel? <laughs> yeah. Right? But when we start laying out some of these Christian paradoxes, hopefully by the end of class you realize, oh, for Chesterton these were satisfying. It was like a key that unlocked the door. Like, oh, there are satisfying paradoxes, ones that actually work and make sense and help me understand reality more. By the way, Time out in class. What is a paradox? Somebody got a definition, a working definition for me? It's like. it, uh, at first seems like they contradict, but after you look at it closer, it's true. It's true, yeah. Uh, the key to that is your word seems. It is a seeming contradiction. So is it an actual contradiction? No. An actual contradiction is, you know, like, this works and it doesn't work. Well, no, like... That's just a contradiction. Right? How does three equal one? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what we're going to talk about. Right? And so it's a seeming contradiction. And so I like it on page 93 at the bottom. Richard Rohr talks about paradoxes, endless knowability. It's so good. But the last line there is overcoming seeming opposites by uncovering a third truth that makes sense out of both of them without negating them. Thank you, Richard Rohr. Tearful Franciscan monk. Right? So, So good. Other quotes, or you guys wanna jump in? You jump in? Let's jump in. I say we jump in. Um, And that page, page 93, has a whole bunch of different quotes on it that I think are powerful for your study, just to remind you of where to go. But I'm gonna be on page 94 here eventually. When you look at the book, he split this chapter into two parts, so let's just walk our way through it. All right, and basically the first half is him saying stuff about illogicalities and the complexities. And then he realizes that he looked at Christianity and he looked at all these critics of Christianity and what were people saying about Christianity? Stuff like, oh, they're way too, you know, prudish. You only get to sleep with one person your whole life? Like you only get to have sex with your wife? prudes, right? Or then someone else would be saying, like, have you read the Bible? Song of Solomon? It says breast in the Bible. Right? They're all so lewd. They're not prude, right? And they can have sex. Ah, yeah. Like, what? And then the critics are saying, those Christians, they're way too pacifist. Turn the other cheek. And that Jesus guy like lets little kids on his laps, and they're just way too soft. And then they're like, those Christians, King David's like killing people, and Jesus made a whip. They're way too what? They're way too violent. And he's like, what the heck? <laughs> and he's listening to all these critics of Christianity, and they're all pointing fingers at Christianity. And he ends up with lines like this, page 69. The only explanation which immediately occurred to my mind was that Christianity did not come from heaven, but from hell. <laughs> really, if Jesus was not Christ, he was, must have been the Antichrist. He's you know, like, this is crazy. And what we realized hey, <laughs> is you have someone coming over here and saying, Don is way too short. But who's saying it? Matt Hockett. <laughs> right? And then you have, no, no, Don. Have you seen Don? Alec Don? He's way too tall. But it's who? Corey, <laughs> right? we're <was> saying it? But <laughs> then you have people saying, "Did you see? He's ripped, man, ripped, and he's super smart." But then who's saying that? Versus someone who says, "Well, actually, not. I mean, he's okay, and not that strong, really." Like, Normal. yeah. But what, what's really interesting is that did we learn anything about Alec in any of those statements? No, no we learned about who, yeah. the people who were saying it. Because when Hackett says he's short, you learn that Hackett is what, tall. tall. Are we tracking? This is one of my most favorite lessons in Shakespeare class. What the characters say about other characters tells you more about who? The one who's speaking. Which, if you want a subtext for class today, what you say about other people tells everybody more about you than what you said about them. maybe that hit. Okay. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's one to think about this weekend. (laughs) Watch your tongue, right? That'll stick with you. Yes, it will. (laughs) But let's add that now. Some of you need to do this when you head off to college with all the critics of Christianity. Come on, everybody go grab your fingers. Let's go. Or go like this. Ready? Go for it. Come on, cover your ears. There's going to be people in college who're going to say that Christians are crazy and they're dumb and they're not smart and they don't know what they're talking about. Then there's going to be Christians who say that you're way too snooty and arrogant and prideful and that you're not generous at all. And you should, like, then you're, right, like you right? I'll pull it up. What did Chesterton have to do with all the critics? Plug his ears and cover his ears. And at some point, you may in your life need to just stop listening to that professor, or that pastor, or that critic, or that Facebook post, right? Because you will going nuts. Chesterton was going nuts. He's like, Christians are evil and they're awesome. Like, what the heck? What are they? Now, can you just plug your ears your whole life? No, and you'll miss out on a lot of truth. But if you're getting confused or overwhelmed, you might need to stop listening to other people talk about Christianity. Fair enough? They're probably revealing more about themselves. And the guy who thinks that we're all a bunch of prudes wants to have sex with 20 people. <laughs> And the person who thinks that we're all too loose is someone who thinks that no one should ever have sex. You know, it's like, what the heck, right? Like, they're telling us more about themselves than about Christian doctrine. So is it usually like the opposite? Like someone who says someone short is usually tall and someone? Yes and no. That's what I'm trying to say is you may just have to do that. Now, are there critics who really know how to talk about this stuff in a healthy, clear way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you you got to find those people, Right. But just be careful what professor you listen to. He might be ranting about Christianity, <laughs> mm-hmm. right, because he hates Christians because some Christian hurt him when he was a kid. Like, he's telling you about himself. He's telling you nothing new about Christianity. Fair enough? Yeah, because I was thinking, I was like, well, what if you're like, oh, this person so mean. It doesn't mean you're nice. No. So, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying just be careful. But here's the real problem for Chesterton, is that he picked up the Bible and looked at it, and what did he find out about Jesus? <laughs> He's all over the map. right? Like He's literally making whips for people and then saying, turn the other cheek. And then he's like, let the children come. Right, he's this really safe, dude. And then he's flipping tables over. And you're like, what's up with this guy? Right? So now is like, what do I do with him? And uh, he realized that there's gotta be truth somewhere in here that I'm missing. And so here we go, paradox. Go to page 94 and we get this. Then in some quiet hour, a strange thought struck me like a thunderbolt. Epiphany moment. And he talks about the person who's the odd shape, but maybe they're the normal shape. right? And on page 70 at the top, he says, Perhaps, in short, this extraordinary thing is really the ordinary thing, at least the normal thing, the center. Perhaps, after all, it's Christianity that is sane and all the critics that are crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And then he found the lock and the key, and it worked. So now, if you want the crux of the chapter, which is where we're going to go right now, paradox helps us understand truth. But you have to make sure you don't water down the opposites in the process. People often think that paradox is a cop-out, and they're going to tell you that. They've told me that a whole bunch. I'm like, if it is a cop-out, then it's not the truth. Real paradox works by holding the truth in the center and these extremes out here on the ends. Ecclesiastes talks about this in chapter 7. The man or woman who fears God will avoid all extremes, but he will hold on to the one and not let go of the other. That's why I have the dude who's up there slacklining. You have to do what in life? Make sure you're what? Balance them out. If you don't balance them out, you're going to fall to one side or the other. That's where the heresies come in. That's where the bad doctrine comes in. Take it to doctrine class. You'll see it all over the place. If you don't get the paradox, your doctrine's going to be off. And abusive often. Fair enough? It's such a big deal. So he uses courage. Here's what I love. Page 72 he uses. Anybody see the quotes on courage? Oh, so good. And I like that he uses courage because his courage like some Christian thing. No, it's a it's a human thing. Every culture, every human appreciates someone who's courageous, right? Not just Christian. So ready? I gotta get up and walk around, you have to watch out here. Alright? But he says it right here on page 72. Someone who is courageous, right, is continually stepping within an inch of death, but with a carelessness about dying. Now wait a second. That makes them courageous. Here's the key. If you want someone who's courageous, they have to be willing to die, right? Willing to die. Got it? How much so? The more they're willing to die, ironically, the more courageous they're going to be. They'll run out in front of bullets and buses and they'll jump to save people, right? Greater love has no one than this that they would do what? Lay down their life for a friend. So you have to be willing to die But what happens if you want to die? Like, oh, I'll die, but I actually hate my life. Is that, no seriously, you're you're in the trenches and one guy, we need to get out there, and the guy's like, you know what, I hate my wife, I hate my kids, I hate my life, I got nothing to live for. I'll go, is he gonna get the big badge of Medal of Honor? Look, is he being courageous? No, he wants to die. See, that's not courage. You have to add in what to get courage in the center? that you love your life. See, the more you love your life, the more you're willing to die, the more what? The more courageous you are. But if you water down their willingness to die, I love my life, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my job, I don't really want to die, well then you won't be what? You won't be courageous. You have to have what? You have to have both or you don't get the truth of courage now it's a paradox because wanting to live but being willing to die does that make sense only in what courage so that's why you have the firemen on 9 11 when the building is literally falling down do they want to die no but are they willing to that's why we build a monument for them because they were what Courageous. so many people i see it all over the news and on the internet those st- stupid Christians, why don't they just move out of that dangerous zone where they could die? Because they, they don't want to die, right? Like, they just must want to die. No, do they want to die? No, they don't want to die, but they also want to proclaim the gospel. So we call them martyrs when they die, not suicides. See the difference? Because they want to live, but they're willing to die. Are we tracking uh, we could up the ante here. I I actually believe that Paul the Apostle, apart from Christ, might be one of the most courageous people on the planet, right? And by the way, someone needs to paint a picture of that dude. Broken bones with rods, rocks thrown on him twice and left for dead, shipwrecked, forty-nine lashes, three times <laughs> with the ancient whip, thrown in ancient prisons. He <laughs> must have been all scarred up, man, right? Yeah, I want you to love Jesus. He's like, okay, whatever you say, dude, right? Like mm-hmm. Paul says to live is Christ to die is gain. So does he want to live? Does he have purpose to live? Yeah. To spread Christ's kingdom, but he's ready to what? He'll die anytime. Cause he knows he's going where? Maybe that's why he could be so courageous is if we actually knew that we didn't have to be afraid of death. And we actually really had a purpose to live. Maybe we'd be more what? Look at Jesus. The dude is sweating blood right before he's going to die on the cross. Does he want to die on the cross? No. The, yeah, he doesn't. He says, take this cup from me. But then, is he willing to die? Yeah, thy will, not mine. Talk about bravery. He knows he has to take on all of our sins. Oh my gosh. Who wants to do that? (laughs) Right? Are we catching the paradox? You water down the desire to live. The guy's not so courageous. You water down the desire to die, the willingness to die, the desire to even die, and you're just going to stay alive and you won't be courageous. Are we catching it? So now we got about 10 minutes. Let's go for it. Ready? Set. Go. It separates the two ideas and then exaggerates them both. That's the, the crux of this whole chapter. It's the bottom of page 72. So what are some that you guys found? We could do some of the popular ones here on the page, but we got about 10 minutes to kind of run around. I'll run around the room. <laughs> Try not to knock you over. We're ready. Let's go for it. What are some paradoxes? Yeah. Father and son. Yeah. So he's fully father, fully God, right? And fully, fully man. We need them to be 100% each because if he's not Fully God what happens to his sacrifice and his model example of being God in the flesh what happens to him fully being perfect does it work but let's say that he's not man if he's not a human who died on the cross for us God but I need what kind of a sacrifice not a God sacrifice I need a what Human. human sacrifice by the way, if he's not fully human, can any of us really be like Jesus? No. no. But if he's not fully God, what kind of model are we following? Someone else. Just a human model. Right? There you have that. <laughs> so good, right? So he's fully God and fully man. Fully father, fully son. Right? So it's another one? Grace and works? Okay, that's a really good one. <laughs> right? I like this one. Are we saved by grace in Christianity? How much so? 100%. Some of you actually don't still really believe this. Like, hold your hands out like this, like it's Christmas. You hold them out. On, ready? And saved. Done. What'd you do? You smiled and said yes. <laughs> You're doing what to be saved? Jack squat. <laughs> like, you are saved completely by grace. Do you have to do anything, by the way? Ready? Hold them out. Thanks. Like in John three fifteen or fourteen, right? It's compared to the whole snake on a pole. So ready, we're all dying. We're all dying. I'm not saved. You ready? Oh, I'm saved. Like a glance. Grace is pretty crazy, isn't it? First, by that grace you've been saved by faith, not by works. So no works. Got it? I'm going to use my language very carefully here. How many works should you do for God? Should everything Paul says your life should be a living sacrifice every breath, everything seriously, water that down you're going to give God half cheek of your life really? God died for you made you, lets you exist gives you himself (laughs) and you're going to give him half heart seriously does that work? come on, does it? no way the least, ready, the least I'm saying the least The least we could do is give him our entire lives, because he gave us his life so that we could live. And he even made us; he gave us life. The least we could do is give back. So, how many works should should you do for God every day? Your whole every day should be for God. But wait, real quick, do you have to do anything for God for it to receive to be loved by Him? No, He loves you already, as you are. Yet, anything to be saved. But how much should you do? So you should do everything but you have to do anything got it <laughs> watch what happens though what the church that waters down working your butt off for Jesus yeah, we're saved by grace we have to do anything what happens with that church it doesn't work does it but water down the churches that you're not saved by grace and what happens with them they're all working their butts off because they're scared we, we see actually The more you understand that you don't have to do anything for God, and the more you understand that you get to do everything for God, now are we living in the freedom of that truth. Why would you do anything when you don't have to do anything? Look what the paradox frees up. You get to be motivated. Why? Yeah, because you want to. Because you don't have to do anything. You better find some other motivation than fear. Water down and add one thing to grace, and it's not what? It's not grace anymore. So are they both true? And we need them both. How are you doing? Yeah. What's in the middle? The truth is in the middle. See, that's the thing. The truth is, is that are you saved by grace? Mm -hmm. So do you have to do anything? Should you do everything? But do you have to? Okay. I would say this for me: the middle is freedom. It's freedom, right? Truth sets you free. Truth sets you free. Paradox brings freedom. That's why I love this so much. It's so great. Come on, how about this? Is it free will or predestination? I love it when people ask me that, Mr. D. Mr. D, are you Calvinist or Arminian? I'm like, what do I say? Yeah. Because <laughs> is there predestination in Scripture, and do we have free will? So, you guys, but it has to be the paradox. Because, ready? Do you and I have free will? How much free will do we have? A complete free will. Can you reject God? How free are you as a being? You can reject God. How much more free do you want to be? Right? Although, is God in complete control of everything? Yeah. Is he in complete control? Is he predestined? There? Is his story already written? Yeah. Does he know your whole life? Yeah. yeah. And By the way, water that down and say that he's not in control. What kind of God do you have? A <laughs> God who's not you in control. control? It's that not really a great God, means. is it? So, you actually, we have complete free will, and he's completely in control. Right? Not Everything's not predestined, and we have free will. Right? But where's the freedom in that? <laughs> well, the freedom is, is that do you make real choices, yeah. and is God in control? Yeah, but do you need to know? <laughs> okay, if you need to know, good luck. Can you know it? I don't know. No, because <laughs> you're not who? Exactly. So, what the freedom comes in is that, what's your responsibility with your free will, to, to make good choices. Yeah. What's God's responsibility, to be in control of everything. So, you be you, and let God be God, and right in the middle, you get a nice relationship. So, just like, don't worry about it. Do you, well, it would, what does Jesus say about yeah. worrying about things? Can no. you can you change any of it? He says, don't worry about your life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But you guys, seriously. This one's huge for philosophy class Because water down free will And say we don't have free will What philosophy are we At that point If there's no free will What are we We're materials or monists. And water down God being in control And what happens philosophically If God's not in control And we are Then we become who God Well what's that <laughs> monism or materialism or potentially buddhism if you can make it but right now you're shadow like this paradox we need the paradox of that in order to understand theism or theism doesn't even exist if they're both not true <laughs> come on what's another one so fun Strength and weakness. what was that Strength and weakness. oh I love that one when I am weak he is strong isn't that awesome? So I, I think like this comes with it. We're, we're what? Weak. <laughs> like, I mean, I know we're strong, but we're what? Compared to God, we're super weak, aren't we? So I'm complete. I am so weak. Do we need to hold on to that? Yeah, without God, I'm literally just dust, right? So I'm weak. How powerful are you? No, no, how powerful are you? Come on, dude. You've got who in you? Yeah. God. <laughs> how powerful are you? Power pretty powerful. One. Actually, you're in the image of who? God. So that's, that's pretty what? That's pretty legit, right? That's awesome. But wait, actually, how how powerful are you? I mean, you're just a pile of dust, right? But you're so totally what? Yeah, right? Now watch what happens. If you forget that you're dust and you only think you're powerful, what could that lead to? <laughs> right? You thinking you are God. But if you don't remember that you're in the image of God and you have God in you, how many people walk around Wheaton Academy, oh victimy and whiny and crying? And I have no power in my life. Does that work? I'm dirt, I'm dust, I'm nothing. That doesn't work. We need what? I had someone. One of my mentors, love him, handed me a two of clubs. And <laughs> he's like, Don't ever forget that you're a two of clubs. I'm like, What? Thanks. <laughs> All right. He's like, by the way, God can win with a two of clubs. Like, that's cool. <laughs> right, like, and then he handed me, he handed me the king card. He said, Remember, you're a king. God has made you a kingdom of priests. You're a king, right? In his kingdom. You're a son of the king. I'm a prince. And I'm also what? I'm a two of clubs. Like compared to God, seriously, compared to God, Mr. D, God, I'm what? Maybe a pile of dust, maybe. (laughs) But if we we lose him, right? If you forget that you're powerful, you're gonna be a victim, right? But if you forget that you're just dust, you're gonna be an arrogant jerk. And actually, you're gonna misinterpret verses like, you know, all things are possible, which means I can do whatever I want. Like, does that work? like that, right all things are possible in that relationship and understanding have a nice day (laughs) have a paradoxical weekend (laughs) oh geez hey the goal is not to help you understand all of the paradoxes if you're leaving today with oh I think I know what paradox is now that was the goal of today you have the rest of not joking you literally have the rest of your life to figure out what the truths of these paradoxes I guarantee you if you pursue the truth, it'll be worth your while. Powerful stuff. Nice job today, you guys. You're awesome. You oh, I gotta hit off here. That was fun.